Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I am Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Hey, I am Senior Mobile Editor Chris Velasco. And joining us today all the way from Phoenix, Arizona, is the lovely Jessica Condit. She's our Senior Editor and Resident Games Expert. Hey, Jess. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. This week, we're going to talk all about Google Stadia, which launched this week, as well as other cloud gaming services uh, available. And that's why we have Jess around, because she's tried it out, and she knows all about the topic. I'm Mm. just here trying to ask questions. And if you have any questions, hey, please send us your feedback and your burning questions to podcast at Engadget.com. We'll do our best to answer whatever we can. But let's get on with Stadia. Uh, What is it? What are we talking about? Jess, do you want to tell us everything you know about the service? All right. So Stadia is Google's video game streaming service. Um, This is the latest attempt to make cloud gaming happen. Like this is is something that OnLive and Gaikai and PlayStation Now, um, NVIDIA has the shield and it it streams games. Um, But this is like the most recent mainstream attempt to make cloud gaming happen and Google has the infrastructure to actually make this happen. It has the infrastructure to to make game streaming low latency, high quality, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's what's been missing in the market before now. Like just internet infrastructure was not there. And honestly, I will argue, I think throughout this podcast, that the uh, internet infrastructure isn't there now either. So so we're gonna see. So this is this is basically somewhat for for who is it for? Is it for like someone like me, I guess, who doesn't really game but could be persuaded to if I didn't have to invest in a ton of hardware? Well, sure. I mean, like what is Netflix, you know, for people who watch movies? Like Netflix is just an easier way to watch TV shows and movies. Um and I think that game streaming is similar. It just takes the platform out of the equation. You don't need to buy a $500 Xbox One X. Um, You can just use your Chromecast Ultra. You can just load up Destiny 2 on your phone. Um, You can play any game in a browser just on your laptop or tablet. Um, So that's the idea, um, how it works in practice. Yeah, we'll see. And you've been playing, playing with a version of it, right? Yeah, I have. So I've been playing with Stadia for over a week now, and um, I found it... Okay, so... I did not expect Stadia to work. Um, I don't think Ooh. that's surprising by this point. But yeah, I did not expect it to work because I've been burned by game streaming services in the past. Like the whole industry has. Um, they just, they're so frustrating when they don't work. When you're trying to play like Lego Harry Potter and you can't even take a step across the screen, you know, without 10 second input lag. It's so frustrating. You can't play games that way. So So Stadia has to be just a frustration-free streaming platform. Um, and so I've been I've been 
shocked by how well it's worked, actually. Um, I have, a you know, a pretty okay internet connection. It's about 30 megabits um, on average. And uh, Google recommends 35 megabits for, uh, for 4K play. Um, well, we have to talk about 4K in Stadia, too, because <laughs> there's some lies going around there. But yeah, it's, it's worked. Like, I've been able to play Destiny 2 on my phone, on my TV, on my laptop. I've been able to play uh, Mortal Kombat 11, which is a fighting game, which really requires... Um, you know, no latency, no lag. Super, yeah, exactly. Totally. So, like, I've been able to play those, and I've had fun. Jess, you mentioned that for Stadia to be really powerful, it has to be this very effortless platform to just sort of dive into without a whole lot of setup. Can you talk to us a bit about what it was like getting started with Stadia sort of right out of the box? Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it is pretty simple. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, making a, an account, logging into the Stadia app. Um, and then and then once you add a game like once you buy a game, because you still have to uh, purchase games with Stadia, even though you're paying a monthly subscription fee. Hmm. Um, so it's more like Xbox uh, Live Gold or uh, PS Plus, where you get discounts on games if you if you subscribe. Um, but it was it was pretty seamless. I mean, the controller is a little janky right now because you can only play um, you can only play wireless with the Stadia controller on the Chromecast Ultra, so on your TV. And then right now, if you want to play on the laptop or on your uh, mobile device, it's only Pixel phones for now, you have to plug in, so you have to be wired. And the, I mean, it's just, that makes the whole experience way less comfortable. Um, that sounds amazing, because that explains the picture I saw floating around Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Of that really ridiculous setup. So that's when you have a phone stuck on top of what looks like a little platform. Like a grip that attaches to your controller. Yeah, right? and then the controller's kind of below it, and yeah. then it's kind of all stuck together, and that's why you can't, because you can't play wirelessly, I guess, on your phone or laptop just yet. Well, yeah. What happens if you're... Using a laptop, then what? Where's the controller? You just like connecting a wire to it? Yeah, it's the same wire. So it's um, but like the one, the wire that Google provided with the, I guess I got the uh, Founders Edition, is so short. Like even when you're on your laptop, it's like <laughs> it's maybe six inches. I don't know. So it's Wait, just seriously. Yeah, no, I, I can, is this not like the most Google problem? Like they've Isn't built it? like ungodly infrastructure to allow this to happen in the first place. But just like the briefest moment of design <laughs> oversight leads you to a cable that's six inches long that right. can't actually get you to game in front of a laptop. It's fantastic. I, 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 yeah. I, 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 people who listen to this podcast know that I am a Google stan, and this sounds absolutely ridiculous. I can't even forgive this. Like, how am I supposed to play? Um, am I supposed to sit on my couch with my laptop on my lap and then <laughs> use this six-inch cable? You know what I mean? Well, you can. No, I mean, some people do that. That's not the worst thing in the world. But I, I will say to your point, like, I think a lot of us rely on Google. Maybe we aren't Google stands in the way that you are. But, like, a lot of the decisions that seem to have gone into Stadia and launching it the way they did now kind of seem indefensible. And, Jess, I would love to kind of get mm -hmm. your, your sense of – of how silly this kind of feels to you, or not silly for that matter. Okay, so the launch of Stadia has been quite a process. Um, Google came out of the gate really guaranteeing a lot of wild features for streaming. I mean, I have written about this extensively on Engadget.com. I interviewed Phil Harrison, who is the head of Stadia. Um, he's a former uh, gaming like titan. He was one of the big, big guys in gaming for a long time. Um, and... He was so confident about Stadia that that it was like, you have to be lying. 
because the things that are promising, um, like they're saying we can stream any game at any, you know, at 4K on any 4K capable device, uh, which is already like streaming at 4K and and promising no lag. Um, it's just it sounds like too much when I can, you know, sometimes my Netflix streams will will cut out or or will will yeah. drop in resolution. Like you're going to promise me I can play a full round of of uh, Overwatch or Fortnite or Destiny in in a stream. I don't know. I just hard to believe. Right. Um, and then and Google is also talking about just how well it's going to work for everyone. Um, this is going to you know change the industry. And eventually we're going to stream at 8K and you're going to be able to share portions of games with friends just by sending them a link and they can open a portion of a game and play themselves in their browser. Um, a lot of these features have not actually shipped. So, yeah, so a lot of the promises Google made like like wireless controller support. Um, they they support DualShock and Xbox Elite Bluetooth controllers um, on the laptop and phones. But again, for the Stadia controller, has to be wired for now, and that has to be a latency and connection issue. Like that's that's a problem that Google has to solve eventually. So let's let's be very clear here about what the limits are. It sounds like. You know, we, we talked about latency. We talked about 4K streaming. And I don't know at what frame rate just yet. Uh, Jess, do you have that number handy? Well, guess what? None of the Stadia games are actually streaming at 4K right now. So That's amazing. Isn't that wild? Yeah, because it sounded too good to be true, didn't it? Um, so, yeah. So even though Google promised, like, Destiny is going to run at 4K, Red Dead Redemption 2 is going to run at 4K, they are actually upscaled. Um, so like Digital Foundry and some other people have done some analysis, you know, post-launch um, and and talked to the developers. So these games are running at 1080p and they're being up or 1440p and they're being upscaled to 4K. The difference is really noticeable when you do side by side comparisons. Um, so th- this is not the highest quality way to play any of these games. I would never play any of these titles competitively on this service, not the way it's running now, because even though it works, it is still stuttering. I still in- experienced input lag. Um, resolution drops. Uh, it's just, it's it's not quite there yet, and mm-hmm. and and Google is is launching it as if it is. But again, they're limiting the number of people that can actually play. You have to have a special Chromecast Ultra. You can't just use the existing Chromecast Ultra that you have. Uh, Google is really limiting the size uh, of the player pool right now. I think because. I mean, the service just isn't working at the level they said it would. The, hang on. This Chromecast Ultra we're talking about, do people have to go out and buy a secondary, like another stick if they already have a Chromecast Ultra? So there's going to be an update eventually, a software update, but that's totally under Google's con- control when they want to unleash that. So is, is it sounds like the whole thing is running like a beta right now. Is that, exactly. That's the case, right? Exactly. Is it, though? Is it meant to be a beta right no. now? Or is it, <laughs> oh, it launched, but it's running like a beta. Yeah, that's the thing. I I honestly believe that Google would have been better positioned um, if they had said, hey, we're going to preview or beta Google Stadia. We're going to really use your input to make it better. Then, honestly, my opinion of this service would not be as critical as it is. But instead, they said, we are going to launch on this day. We are going to have these things and and it's going to all work. And just, I mean, that's not true. So it does feel like a, a beta. I mean, xCloud is Microsoft's service, and it is in preview right now. Um, so if that stutters while I'm playing it, 
it's forgivable because it's still in preview. They're still working on it and they haven't promised that it's going to work seamlessly. I, I have one last thing I don't know if we ever got to yet. We talked about how, you know, there's a lot of bandwidth requirements and stuff like that, but they're not yet available over mobile data is what I heard or Correct. read. Correct. And I think that's a huge misstep. Um, I mean, the future is mobile. Mobile gaming is the largest segment in the industry and it's growing the fastest. Um, Apple Arcade is a good example of, of I think, someone getting it right in that kind of ecosystem. And, and Stadia, yeah, does not work on mobile data right now. Um, again, that's another thing Google promised in the beginning, and it's just not in the final product. It sounds to me like, like honestly, Google would have served itself better if they had just said, this is a preview, just some early testers, because a lot of these sound like growing pains. I mean, like, no one's going to get mad at you, Google, if you said, like... We're just trying to learn right now. And, you know, we're going to get to xCloud in a little bit, I think. But so far, you know, the ones of us in this room anyway, we're thinking that Google has a lot to benefit from starting early, from gaining all this information, from putting their service out there and being live first with it. But I wish they had kind of also they're charging an extra fee to like use their service and then download. Yeah, I don't know. It's like as hardcore of a Google fan I am, I really have a hard time. Understanding yeah, I mean, that's this. the indefensible part, right? Like no one who has interacted with Google for in any considerable way over the past 10 years is will be surprised by the fact that Google just likes to put stuff out there and like let it go for a while. And then once it graduates from beta, then it's fine for everyone else to use. That's just how it works. But for Google in this situation to say, hey, we've built this infrastructure that more or less works and it's pretty much okay, but we're going to charge you $120 for Founders Edition plus, what is it, like 10 bucks extra a month just for like the 4K streaming option. And then for games that you probably have already played on another platform anyway, that that sort of very capitalistic bent right out of the gate feels really bad. Like they could have used this as a phenomenal data gathering system, right? Like they're going to be using this well in advance of 5G really hitting its stride. I think that next year when 5G really becomes a thing and when next gen consoles fully you know, come out and are fleshed out, that's when Stadia faces its biggest test. Google could just be using this time sort of altruistically collecting data and figuring out what works. But they've decided, you know, we're going to make money off of this too. And like that just feels wrong to me. Yeah. And, and you mentioned games in there. Um, I mean, Stadia actually has fewer games than xCloud, which hasn't actually launched yet. Um, so, I mean, there's that too. I think that's a huge issue because these services, I mean, games are going to be the lifeblood of streaming services once they all find their footing. Absolutely. It's the same way that like, you know, with Netflix, with the, with the actual, you know, TV shows or the movie streaming wars, uh, titles are probably the most important thing. Are there any Stadia exclusives, by the way? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, exclusives are huge in gaming. Like, this is what drives people to Xbox or over PlayStation, over, you know, any other service. Like, that is that is how it works. So, Stadia has Guilt. So, Guilt comes from Tequila Works. They're uh, an independent Spanish studio. They've been around for a long time, um, like 10 years or so. They made Deadlight. That was their first game. I reviewed that for Joystick back in the day, like 20... Joystick. Yeah, you remember, baby? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Deadlight was them, and then they kind of... They've just kind of been around. They do... They shift styles all the time. They've made VR games. They've made murder mystery titles. So, this new one is Guilt. It's Stadia exclusive, and it's a horror game. It's an adventure game, 
Um, so it's third person, just kind of over your shoulder, uh, 3D world. And it's almost like the upside down world. So this girl, Sally, is dropped into basically the upside down. Her town is abandoned and her young cousin, Emily, is lost in their school. So she has to find her cousin while all these monsters are stalking the hallways. Um, it's pretty basic adventure game, like just 101 uh, and horror game 101. Uh, you know, you have a flashlight, you can find batteries, you can find little health packs. Uh, you have to crouch behind stuff. It's it's a fine game. It plays well on Stadia. Um, but again, it's nothing really revolutionary. It's it's kind of like the software wizard for Google Stadia. It just shows you how to play games. Jess, based off of what you know, is there anything about guilt that leads you to believe that it was designed with streaming first in mind? Um, nothing besides just the relative smallness of the game. Um, I think especially for an independent studio diving into a piece of new technology, you want to just kind of stick with what you know, make something that you know you can do, and see if it works on the new the new service. So that feels like what happened here. Um, it's It's just a game. It's just an adventure game, just a horror game. It's fine. If you have kids, you have Stadia. Um, it's it's good for them to play, especially if they like Stranger Things or something. It's kind of in that vibe. I find it a little disconcerting that the one game that's exclusive to Stadia is the game that you see most readily, you know, able to just say it's just a game. Like yeah. that doesn't that doesn't feel great for the service at large, <laughs> right? Like it's not like you can take your progress in one game on Stadia and sort of pick up where you left off anywhere else, right? Like that functionality just does not seem to be built into the equation right now. Not yet. So if you, yeah, if you have a, actually, if you have a Destiny game uh, on PC, you can import your stats into Stadia. So you can, that's you can, nice. you can do that. So that's awesome. But not every game oh, cool. supports so that. So for like one, <laughs> like the one, one of 34 so games. far. And isn't that the one you get for free? It, yeah, I think it, I think it comes free. That's, that's yeah. how I like got that. It, if so. there was ever a situation where you get something for free in a scenario like this, like, yeah, that should be the one that actually functions the way you want all these things to work. Like mm-hmm. that should be your standard bearer. And it's. Well, that's that's the beauty. Like that's the beauty of streaming. That's the promise of streaming is that you will not have these disparate sections of games that you have to that you have to like play specifically on an Xbox or a PlayStation. And streaming changes the way developers are going to make games when you don't have to think about the technical hardware limitations of a specific platform you're building for. I mean, it changes everything. I'm really excited about that future. It's just like Google needs to just slow down a little bit. Wait, so so you said that developers, the, the way they create games now is going to change because of streaming games because they no longer have to think of hardware limitations. But isn't that, I mean, people are going to be playing on their phones, on their TVs too, right? So, you know, doesn't that mean they have to actually think of more hardware scenarios rather than fewer? Right. So in in the streaming situation, developers are going to be making basically just PC games. They're going to be making the highest quality PC games they can, and those games are going to run on every platform. That's the idea. It's going to run on your TV. It's going to run on your phone. It's going to run on your PC the same way. Um, and Hey, maybe you want to optimize something for a mobile device. Maybe you want to have a different UI. Maybe developers will do that. But making games for a specific console is, it's a very rigid and dedicated process. I mean, you have to know what specs you can hit. You have to know what's going to break. You have to, you have to actually 
create a game based on the hardware, uh, the hardware ecosystem that you're actually working in. When you remove that barrier, I mean, what are the creative opportunities that are really going to come out of there when you don't have to worry about hitting a wall with the hardware, when you can just stream at the quality you want, you can make the world the size you want, the connections you want. Like, I just, I think it's really going to open up game development in a really, really innovative way. I hadn't thought about that. And I think I, I want to get your take on this. It sounds like streaming has the potential to democratize gaming in a way that few developments in gaming's history has allowed it to achieve. But do you still feel like there is a place for the dedicated console with the dedicated controllers and the exclusive games? Like, is that is that a parallel path of gaming that could or should always exist? Or is that kind of earmarked for the dustbin already? <laughs> well, I mean, people are still using their NESs and stuff. I mean... I don't know how much of that is nostalgia, how much of it is necessity. I envision a future where AR is the main form of gameplay. Um, I don't think consoles will be as um, useful. I mean, just like, you know, Google Hub Max will not be as useful eventually because all that info will be um, much more integrated into our our lives and our bodies. Um, Hey, I'm a little transhumanist, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love well, that world. Yeah, you know, I, I write science fiction. I have to live in that space a little bit. So it sounds like Stadia is a mess, which I don't know if a lot of people are surprised by. But then some people are saying that this leaves the arena open for another player. You get all these fun gaming words I'm using uh, to come in and do a better job. Do you think that's true? Um, I mean, I think we're already seeing that with xCloud, definitely. Um, Okay, honestly, there are only a handful of companies that can pull off video game streaming. There's a reason this hasn't been done before. It is very, very difficult to make this to make streaming happen. So so Google has the Internet infrastructure to make it happen. They have the, the pipelines and the partnerships with ISPs. And then Microsoft also has that. They have the Azure cloud network. I mean, it's global. They can really, they can stream these games just as well as Google. Not many other companies have that. Um, I think, so Sony is actually going to partner with Microsoft for game streaming for the next generation of PlayStation and Xbox. They're actually partnering with Microsoft because they don't have the infrastructure themselves. Yeah. It's wild, right? Wow. It yeah. is wild. Jeez. Yeah, this is a big deal. It really is the future. Um, and Sony, they bought OnLive and Gaikai back in the day. They tried to do streaming with PS Now. It does not work. It's never worked. It's very frustrating. Um, so they're just going with Microsoft because no one else has has the internet infrastructure to do this. Um, so Amazon is also kicking around an idea of a streaming service. Um, last I heard, it wouldn't launch until 2020 at least. I honestly don't know what that's all about. Uh, I I doubt it'll be, it'll probably be mobile focused, maybe closer to Apple Arcade uh, than an actual streaming service. Maybe, maybe streaming of gaming people, you know, like Twitch, they own Twitch. Yeah, yeah. it seems like one of those natural fits, right? Like they've got Twitch, they have AWS, like they have the backbone that powers like an ungodly fraction of the internet. It would be silly for them to not, but I think you're absolutely right, Jess. Like there there doesn't seem to be a very cohesive way they pull this off, at least based off of what we know right now. I mean, gaming is a really specific industry. It's, I mean, it's fascinating that Google is getting in as far as it is, uh, but I think it's already showing how thin its partnerships are and how its understanding of the industry may not be uh, actually caught up yet. 
So, so yeah, like I think Microsoft is really well positioned here. Um, and then, you know, Apple Arcade is actually a really cool service too. It's not streaming, but it's subscription service. And that's a huge part of the streaming ecosystem. We're all going to get used to that as gamers. So tell us more about xCloud. How's it different from Stadia? Okay, so xCloud works on mobile data. Dun, dun, dun. Um, oh my God. Yeah, so it's actually only mobile for now. You you hook up your, your phone. It's an Android phone. Uh, not iOS yet, but again, it's in preview. It's not even beta yet. It's preview. <laughs> so... Um, so it's early days and it's, it's just like Stadia. You connect your Bluetooth controller, um, your Xbox, usually controller, um, to your phone and you can play the titles they have to download. Um, I haven't messed around with xCloud as much, but I am working on a comparison of Stadia and xCloud. So, uh, so stay tuned for that, but, but we'll see. It sounds like the biggest differences right now are the the mobile data that, mm-hmm. that it's available on, the game titles that are on xCloud versus Stadia, as well as the availability of a Bluetooth controller. Right. Well, and Stadia does support Bluetooth controllers on tablet, laptop, and mobile devices, not on the TV. But then the Stadia controller is tethered on those devices and not on the TV. It's just, it's kind of a mess. Yeah. It sounds like Google expects you to already have a Bluetooth controller to use with the other three. And then on the Chromecast Ultra, you have to use the Stadia controller for yeah. some reason. Yeah. And I mean, if we're trying to get rid of hardware with cloud gaming, Google has really made Stadia reliant on weird hardware. Shalana and I have been talking about this before we even came in to record today. And I think we've had a lot of trouble kind of figuring out who this is meant for, right? Like Shalana... You're you're not much of a gamer, right? I'm the most casual of gamers. I play <laughs> Overcooked time and again whenever I'm bored. I guess. <laughs> and I like very much used to be a gamer when I had the time mm. to play games and not like review phones all the time. So for me, the Stadia has a bit more of appeal because I don't have to wait for you know a 50 gig file that I've just downloaded to install and then wait for updates. Like I have that mm-hmm. immediacy, but. When you're in a situation where you can have dramatically better experiences just by investing in stuff as opposed to hoping Google gets stuff right, I I have a hard time kind of figuring out where this lands for people. So based off of what you've experienced so far, who really gets to benefit the most from this? So I think mostly it's going to be hardcore players who really just want to test out the new technology and hardcore technology fans who just want to test out the new technology. Um, So I think all of these streaming services, they're not necessarily, I've heard this question a lot. Who is Stadia for? Who is Stadia for? And to me, that's never really been a question because streaming is the future of gaming. Everything that Google and Microsoft are doing is to benefit and actually build the next the next platform, like broad platform, that that every player will be playing on. They're not necessarily going after a specific, you know, 18 to 34 male market base. Like they're they're really just building something that will be ubiquitous for every game in the future. Um, so I see that I see that clearly. Um, however, obviously in the meantime, these services have to make money. So they do have to find an audience. And for that question, I'm really not sure. I don't know if if Google, especially with the slow rollout they're doing and the friend invite limitations they're they're placing on people, um, I don't know if they really want a lot of people playing right now. Um, and then after that, I don't know how they get more people interested. So I, I also I see that, but but I, I see the long game as well. 
I, I, I'm totally with you. I think there's been a lot of debate lately about what does it even mean to be a gamer anymore. And there's some actually negative connotation sometimes with that word uh, in certain circles these days. But I do think I'm with you, Jess, that like the streaming, um, just the streaming of games can really help, you know, this world, I guess, expand on a wider scale. And, you know, things like Apple Arcade, you mentioned a bunch of times, you know, also kind of lower that barrier Mm -hmm. i guess to to what it means to be a gamer um what do you think like i mean does does apple arcade compare and is are people going to still need to be you know very invested in in gaming for for this to really take off so apple arcade fits into this picture because of the subscription service aspect you know they're not streaming the games or anything but they're just letting people pay a flat fee to access a library of games. Um, and the, the ones on Apple Arcade are actually, I mean, some of them are exclusive and pretty cool. Um, so so I think they're, they're hitting the right notes there. Um, and it's something that Google will have to figure out is how do they get this software library to be worth, you know, 10 bucks a month plus buying the games for people? Like Apple Arcade, you, oh, you pay your monthly subscription and you can just play the games. Um, and that's what people expect out of most streaming services. Um, you know, gamers are used to Xbox Live Gold, where you you pay a monthly fee, you still have to buy the games, but you get discounts. Um, I don't think that is the actual way forward here. So I think Apple has a good model with Arcade, definitely. For me, it sounds like I've heard this all before with Google. I feel like this is very reminiscent of Daydream VR, where Google's whole point was to create you know, make VR accessible to a ton of people by making like this hardware that doesn't necessarily cost as much as say an Oculus Rift. And then it has a sort of library of content that was, you know, the result of a variety of like projects with other creators, I guess, and it just never took off. And then the next thing we know, this past Pixel event Daydream VR, just the headset itself, is basically dead. So what happens to the platform, we don't know. And this is just all too familiar for me, where I feel like Google has such a hard time getting buy-in from the people it needs to get buy-in from. Does that like sound like correct to you? Absolutely. This is this is Google all over the place. Like, promise a lot, launch a thing, <laughs> don't meet expectations, and then stop doing the thing. That's kind of what Google does. They have the money to throw at projects like this that seem massive and just like out of this world for most companies to do, but they really can start Stadia and then just shut it down. They can, and they can still survive as a company. And that's the worry for me. We, we talked a little bit before the show, uh, Chris and I, about how, you know, this, this early movers advantage is going to help Google is going to benefit Google, I think, if it really wants to continue. Do you think, I mean, I don't know, V, do you still think so that that after all of this that we've talked about with Jess, that Google still can benefit and learn a lot of lessons from this early launch? I think they handled the launch, I think fair to say poorly. But I do think that the knowledge they gain between now and next year is going to be really, really valuable to them. And I think another thing that we touched on earlier uh, and something I haven't really been able to get out of my head is the idea that if Google can't really get the brass tacks of this right. Can we trust or reasonably expect anyone else to be able to do that? I mean, Microsoft, to your point, Jess, with xCloud has a solid infrastructure in place. There's a reason Sony is partnering with them. But, I mean, the 
the scale of what they're doing right now doesn't offer many clues. Like it's just mobile. It just seems to work better than what we've seen from Stadia, but it is also a preview and it's very limited in its scope. So I think it's hard to draw any real conclusions from that right now. Uh, What I will probably say is that unlike Daydream, which very much felt like Google kind of stepping out on a limb to try something, an experiment in the space where they firmly believed a lot of innovation and change would incubate for quite some time. What I like about Stadia is that even though it didn't work out very well in the immediate aftermath of its launch, like it's a service and a business that is built very tightly next to the stuff Google is already good at, right? Like I don't necessarily trust Google to inspire people to develop games for Daydream, but I do expect them to know how to manage data centers and make sure that the YouTube stuff that I watch very regularly comes through looking very good. That expertise transfers very, very nicely over to something like Stadio in a way that I don't think any of that ever really did with Daydream. I think we're kind of looking at two different beasts here. I fully agree with that. I mean, if you just look at the way Google's able to save data for things like what Google Go apps, I mean, there's a lot of uh, expertise that can be transferred pretty naturally, I think. Uh, but I don't know the behind the scenes. But it does sound like there's a lot of, I don't know, I don't know how much more time there is until we these streaming services really take off. Jez, when are we feasibly going to expect uh, you know, streaming games to be a thing? Like, when is xCloud going to be actually live and all that? Um, I mean, my just general, you know, kind of informed guess would be 2020 for for um, xCloud. Um, I mean, yeah, like there's there's these services are going to come out and they're going to they're going to work partially and then they're going to work better and better. And like that's that's OK. Um, I think as long as we set the expectations, people won't be so disappointed that they give up on streaming games entirely. <laughs> you know, like that's what I worry about with Google overpromising is, hey, if I can't actually stream Destiny in 4K, now this is broken. Instead of realizing, holy cow, I can play Destiny at 1080p, 60 frames per second, and with no lag, and that's in, that's incredible. Instead of a disappointment, it could be, you know, something, an accomplishment. Um, so it overpromised and it underdelivered. Yes, and uh, hey, that's that's how it goes, right? Yeah, but I mean, there's still, people still don't, there's, what, 25 million people don't have broadband in, in the U.S.? That's according to the FCC. Microsoft thinks it's 160 million people that don't regularly use broadband in the U.S. Mm -hmm. I mean, 5G is a long way off. Like this is we are still building out the actual network across the country and the world that will support uh, the streaming ecosystem. So, I mean, it's just going to get better. We have to give it time to do that. I just got back from vacation and already I'm right back at work Um, and I'm going to be putting out a review very soon of the LG Gram 17, which is a 17 inch laptop that feels super thin and light. It's really impressive. It's lighter even than the Dell XPS 15, which is a 15 inch laptop. This is riveting stuff. I love talking about PCs and laptops because that's just the kind of nerd I am. Jess, what are you working on? (laughs) Um, not laptops. So Great. I'm going to the humanitarian humanity side of things. Um, I interviewed Amanda Palmer, and she's a fantastic musician. I've loved her since the Dresden Dolls. Now she's doing solo stuff. And she's funded by Patreon. And she mm. she does so much online. She like lives online. Um, so we talked for uh, probably like 40 minutes about just art and uh, the age of the internet. So I'll have something about that soon. 
I can't wait to read it. How about, so I know that V is working on something just ridiculous, so y'all have at it. Hey, you know what? Let's just, before we pass judgment, let's just talk very rationally about what's happening. Your very serious workload this I, week. I, I also recently got back from vacation, and prior to that, I reviewed nine things in like two months. So same, same. So yeah, so yeah, Our like lives. you know you know what it's like. Like yes. this is kind of a grind. So mm-hmm. I came back to a very difficult assignment, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I have to uh, review slash play with a ostensibly a gaming headset with a mechanical arm that will feed you Pringles while you play games. No. Pro pro gamer right here. The best part is, the best part is, you are a gamer who is presumably using your hands to play a game. But in order to actually actuate the arm, for it to drop a Pringle into the tray and swing the tray in front of your mouth, you have to like fumble for a remote and hit a button. So you are like legitimately ruining ruining your gaming experience in order to squeeze one more potato crisp into your mouth. No, no, I see the benefit of this as much as I cringe. As much as I cringe. What is the benefit? There's because no benefit. I don't see it. It keeps your hands clean. You yes, can use, They're you Pringles. Can... It's not like you're eating no. wings or something. There's salt. There's there's some oil on these things. You know, we're wearing clean. pants though, right? It's just like Gross. You're gross. Your you're you're who this was made for. I I am and I still hate it. Jess, <laughs> what do you think? It's awful. No, no, no. We okay. Yeah, gamer already has a bad connotation to it. We don't need this. Also, keep an eye out for our Black Friday deals as we get closer to Thanksgiving. It's going to be a lot of stuff happening that day, and we just want you to know that when we publish a deal story, it's because we genuinely like the product and we like the deal that's going on. Yeah, I mean, some of these deals may seem a little, I know, for products that are a little older, but they're still good deals. We really put in some thought into what we would write up uh, and cover. Uh, And also, heads up. We're not doing a new episode for Thanksgiving because all of us need a break and y'all can just go shopping, seriously. And so to find all of these deals that we've so painstakingly looked for, you can look for the tag pages engadget.com slash tag slash engadget deals or slash Black Friday 2019, one word. All right, Shalyn, I have to ask, since you've gotten back from vacation sooner than I have, you've had free time in more recent memory than me. What have you been doing when you're not reviewing laptops? I will say the only free time I really had this trip was in the in the airplanes, two 17-hour journeys to the other side of the world. That left me with a lot of time to enjoy the vast variety of content available on these planes. You know, plenty of movies. You know, I think I saw Lion King was on the library. What I chose to do was spend 15 hours two ways. That's a combine of 30 hours getting to know very intimately this game that I saw for the very first time on this console. And this game is called, this little title, you might not have ever heard of it. It's called... Plants versus zombies. I hate everything <laughs> about what you just said. <laughs> 15 hours what? both no. ways. How? What? You were playing this on your phone? No, it was on the... on the. It was on the in-con... Like the in-flight in console screen. thing? So people had to watch you. You were doing this oh in public. Oh my God, people watched me. People definitely watched me because oh I God. sat in the front row my return flight. I, I sprung for that exit row upgrade and I still, I was, you know what I was most excited about? Not the leg room, but the fact that the console would be closer to my face oh my God. so that I didn't have to reach so far to like plant my seeds. Air travel is a disaster. Fantastic. With me around? Yes. I mean, I will say I did one other thing on the flight other than sleep, eat, and play Plants vs. Zombies. I watched the... Detective Pikachu movie it's about so 700 cute. times? Yeah. You... Yes, it was so cute, Jess. Yeah, I, I love it. I don't know. I also 
came back on a plane and that was available on a plane. And it's one of those things where I, as much as I love Pokemon, like ride or die for life, I would not pay money to go see that in a theater because it just felt too cringy to me. And I went in and sat there on a plane and tried to watch it for 20 minutes. And I just could not. You're you're a misery bag. I'm like very, I get very upset over things that don't matter at all. Speaking of Pokemon, I definitely don't hate Pokemon Sword and Shield, which just recently came out, although there has been quite a bit of controversy surrounding it. And I think the core game isn't really anything to write home about. It's basically just an extension of the storytelling techniques that we got in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon and Sun and Moon from a couple years ago. How about blue and red and yellow? Um, it's a... I don't know if I'd say it's better than blue or red or yellow. What I will say is that Game Freak really, really wants you to have some of, like, the red, blue, yellow experience in these games, right? Like, Charizard plays this, like, notable role as the champion's, like, main Pokemon, and there are all these nods to these Pokemon that have that really have been a part of the public consciousness since, like, 1998 and 1999. And Ben, our podcast producer, said something very interesting when we were going oh, into God. this. He mentioned that the people who really get excited about Pokemon now are people closer to 30 than they are to the target demographic of, like, 12 or whatever. And that's that makes perfect sense because the people who are 12 now and, like, experiencing it for the first time just aren't as part like the, nor could they be part of the phenomenon that Pokemon was when we were like 10 years old. I would argue that they're an important part. They keep it alive. They they do keep it alive, but I also wonder if they in in catering to them Game Freak just like allows itself to make bad decisions about gameplay. So this this is a subject of my spin-off podcast Vion Pokemon which debuts <laughs> never because no one needs this. It's it also sounds vaguely wrong. I, I'm here Pokemon. for this. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's not good. Do not, please, do not. We're 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 working workshopping that title. It's fine. Well, I mean, Jess is a real gamer, and I hear she's been playing something a bit more sophisticated and mature <laughs> than Vion Pokemon. Jess, what have you been playing with? Okay, so it's the end of the year. I'm kind of going through the year of games and playing the ones that I that I really didn't get to get into. So right now, it's Devil May Cry Five. Oh, I'm so happy. It's... Tell me about it. What What is this game about? I don't know anything about games. Oh, no. So you would love Devil May Cry. It's it's just like, it's kind of sassy, sexy dudes killing demons. Um, it, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, yes. It's fantastic. <laughs> like, my teenage dreams were were formed on Dante and Nero and, like, this whole Ooh. this whole world of demon fighters. So Devil May Cry 5 is, so it's part of this series that is is filled with its gunplay, its melee. There's huge swords and just like very Mm -hmm. gothic visuals. Um, It's, I mean, it is everything an emo teenage girl could want. Um, And also a 31-year-old woman could want. Hello. Also me. Also. Oh, happy birthday. Oh my gosh, by the way. Oh my God, thank you. So I've only played like 30% of Devil May Cry 5, which is why I'm diving back in. Um, and it's, I mean, it's everything you love about Devil May Cry. It's fast paced combat. You're always trying to get the best combos. Um, and like Dante and Nero are back. There's some new characters. There's also some, Mm. some familiar villains. Like it's, it's everything the series does well. Um, but just in a, in a better resolution and better frame rate than ever before. So, you know, it's, it's very, very soothing to my emo. So you're telling me. These hot demon killing brothers are gonna look sharper and more smooth. So oh. they're just hotter than ever. They move like butter. 
Ooh. <laughs> I, I mean, I will download just for that. I will be on Double May Cry like V on Pokemon. That's it for our show today, everyone. Thank you once again for listening. Our theme music is by Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Karen O'Brien. And the podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Chris Velasco online at... Hey, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Velasco or just send me an email, vnengadget.com. And Jess. I'm at Jess Condit, two T's on Twitter, or Jessica at Engadget.com. And if you want to tell me how adorable Pikachu is, you can look for me on Twitter. I am at Sherlyn Lowe. Please send us any questions or feedback you might have, once again, at podcast at Engadget.com. We're taking a break for Thanksgiving, like I said before, so come back in two weeks for a brand new Thanksgiving stuffed episode. <laughs>